Thanks, guys. Good morning. How are you doing? Good to see you. Hey, we're going to be in John chapter 1 today. If you would turn there in your Bibles with me, I'd appreciate that. John chapter 1. Uh, we, are no, we are starting a new series, but we're not covering the book of John um, in particular. So I, as much as I love going verse by verse through books of the Bible, we're going to do a short series in June called Come and See. And uh, the series is, is meant for us to understand that we are, not only has Jesus invited us to come and see him and meet him face to face, that we now know God and, and, and he has been uh, fully known to us and, and we, we are fully known by him. But we also uh, can invite others to come and see the transformation that he has made in our lives. So it's going to be about, uh, about letting people see and be vulnerable with people, right? letting them see just how much Jesus has transformed us. Uh, we tend to get a little bit uh, in, kind of in a shell, right? We kind of hide a little bit. We sometimes water down um, our, our convictions or our feelings or, or just water down the fact that God has done so much for us in our lives and he's, he's changed us so much. We don't want to offend the people around us. Um, so what, what I'm going to be challenging you to do and what I think the scripture challenges us to do is to invite people into a real transparent relationship with us and with Jesus ultimately. That they would, they would see and know us. And, that, you know, when, when we tell them how much God has changed our lives and our heart, it's not something that they can refute. And they can refute doctrine all day long and try to argue uh, points of doctrine in Scripture. But when, when someone says, this is how I feel, this is how I've changed, people tend to hang on every word and they want to know what's the difference. What's the transformation? What's happened so this is not about this. This series is not about being a good student of doctrine, although certainly it comes from doctrine. It comes from the Word of God, the truth of God's Word. But I think what we do is we tend to get a little buried in our books, right? We we kind of put put uh, put our axe to the grindstone and we we get in there and we make sure we're studying hard and we're learning all of the things we need to learn about our faith and about Jesus and get to know God better, which is important. Those are important things. We start to learn the points of doctrine and, and what we believe and why we believe it. It just confirms in our heart all that Jesus is to us. But what we don't do is we, we don't want to invite people into that school classroom setting. I don't want to become a, a classroom setting where we sit here and, and you know, crunch real hard and, and cram the night before because we're taking a test. Right? We, don't want to, we don't want to be these kind of students who just put in the hours and work and never really understand that this is more about transformation than it is about information. Amen? God is a God of transformation, not just information. And I think there's a lot of people, even myself included, as I, as I grew as a Christian, as I went to church as a young man, I, I was there for information. I, I love how it fits together and works together. And, and that has certainly helped transform me. But, but I had to meet Jesus face-to-face. I was confronted and, and convicted about my own sin, and I met Jesus face-to-face. And it humbled me to the point that I needed him to come in and change everything and to fill me and to wipe me clean and to, so I would be new. And I abandoned my old way of life. I repented. I turned from that and turned to Jesus because he can change everything. And when he transforms us, that's the kind of life we want to show people. Listen, I've been transformed. Yeah, if you have a question about theology, let's talk. Let's study. Let's get in the Word. Your neighbors may have those questions. Your friends may have those questions. But making them study like a student in the book and take the test cramming the night before is not inviting them to see Jesus transform. It's inviting them to religion. That's inviting them to regulation. It's inviting them to law and ritual. It's not inviting them to Jesus. You know, there's a lot of times in our class, our class 101, we have a, a church member covenant that church members sign and agree to when they become a member of this church. And one of the things on there, and I, I, I 
agree, but I kind of I talk about what else is involved. One of the things it says, I, I, will, I will commit to my church to, to invite others, right, non-believers to attend. And, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I, I think that Jesus can transform, and as the word is preached, it goes forth and, and, and it convicts hearts, and it has, a, has the ability to, to change. But the church, as we gather on Sunday morning in this building, this building is made for the church, the body of Christ, those who have put their faith and hope and believe the gospel, and they are forgiven by Jesus to come together, to worship together, because these worship songs mean nothing to the heart of a lost person, right? They only mean something if you've been redeemed, if your chains have been set free, right? So when we come together, it's the church that worships, it's the church that gathers to give and to, to, to fellowship and to bear each other's burdens and meet each other's needs, right? It's, it's the church that gathers to hear instruction from the word that it would convict us and change us and challenge us. So it's important for us as a church to understand that inviting people to church is okay, but that is not the culmination of your relationship with that person. It should maybe be part of it. Our relationships with people should be about the long haul and about inviting them to see Jesus. You have not just won because you invited a friend to church and they're sitting in the pew next to you. Right? The win is inviting them to see and know and believe in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the win. That's what we're called to do. So certainly... Parts of those aspects, aspects of that will allow us to invite our friends to church and sit alongside of us to see what this fellowship is like and what this love looks like and what this worship looks like and to hear from the word and be challenged and then ask questions later on. It certainly is a part of that story and the journey. But I don't want us to get comfortable to saying, I'll, I'll invite them to church, then it's up to them. I want to, I want to invite my friends. I want to invite my neighbors. I want to put, invite the people that God has placed in my path to see how God has transformed me by the Son, Jesus Christ. I want him to be the focus. I want the transformation that he's had and made in my heart to be a focus because then that's something we can talk about. Before we even start with doctrine and trying to figure it all out, things that we can't even totally figure out, things are still a mystery to us, let's start with Jesus, how he met us face to face, how he convinced us and convicted us of sin and how we emptied ourselves before him and believed that only he could fill us with his righteousness, his goodness. And that as he did that, he reached in and grabbed a hard heart and he yanked it out and he put it in a new heart of flesh. And he changed everything. The old is no longer who we are. We are now new, new creation. So as we talk about this series, Come and See, I want us to get used to the idea that we are inviting people in relationship to us to come and see Jesus and how he's transformed us and ultimately inviting them to Jesus. Amen? So today, we're going to look at the why. Why, are, why is Jesus so important to this? Why is it so important that we invite people to Jesus? And then the, the, the following three weeks during June, we're going to talk about how we do that, what that looks like or what that can look like in a relational sense uh, as we meet with people every day, right? Uh, how, how do I do that naturally in the community and world around, okay? So we're going to be in, in John chapter 1, and uh, uh, I'll pray before we get started, and we'll start in verse 29. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to be here today. We're grateful that you love us. We're grateful that you've pursued us and drawn us into a relationship with you, and now we are fully known by you. God, as we come together, we worship you, and we, we worship you out of the overflow of our heart because, how you, because of how you have transformed and changed us. How have you forgiven us, wiped us clean, and given us a, a righteousness that's not our own? We thank you for that. We ask that as we go to your word today that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive, that God, before even uh, th this time together started, that you would have been tenderizing our heart to be moldable, 
pliable, God, that we would apply the things of Scripture to our lives, that we would be challenged and changed by these words, that we'd be convicted of sin and we'd move into a, a position of obedience to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, Father, we make this about Jesus, for he alone is worthy. His is the greatest name ever. We praise you in his name. Amen. All right. So John chapter 1, beginning in verse 29, going through the end of the chapter, I'll read this together. Normally, you know how I am, I like to take a chunk of Scripture, a smaller chunk of Scripture, and just kind of go through that and break it down. Today, for the essence of what we're talking about, this is a large chunk of Scripture. So I can't do it justice in the breakdown mode, but I, I think it fits very well to our theme, and I encourage you to, to go back and study through this, uh, this text more, uh, more diligently and comb through it uh, more closely. Okay? John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John, that's John the baptizer, or John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man uh, who has surpassed me but has existed before me. Or because he existed before me, I, I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John, te- uh, and John testified, I watched the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and rested on him. I don't know him, but he uh, who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard uh, heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he said, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about 10 in the morning. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means anointed one. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock. The next day, he decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus found Philip and told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see. Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here's a true Israelite. No deceit is in him. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus responded to him, Do you believe only because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I assure you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All right. Well, let's get into it today. We're going to be talking about coming and seeing, that, that invitation. There's an invitation there for us to meet and see Jesus. So the question is why? Why is an invitation to Jesus? All right. Number one, because Jesus is eternally God. Because Jesus is eternally God. Let's look at the first part of this, uh, this section, verses 29 to 34 again. So the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. He says, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one, capital one, I told you about. After me comes a man who has surpassed me because he existed before me. 
I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. So John is paving the way, right? Make straight the path in the desert. He wanted to pave a way for the Messiah, the one, the anointed one, the one that would save Israel and would be the savior of the world. He knew this one was coming. It's interesting, he says, he says, after me comes a man uh, who has surpassed me because he existed before me. Jesus was born after John, okay? But Jesus existed before John. And John, John's ministry was not all about, hey, I'm, you need to follow me, you need to learn, 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 and repent of your sin, and, and we'll get baptized, and we'll be this, this new kind of entity. And what he knew is he was making a way for when Jesus came that Jesus would be the one. And he was happy for that. He wanted Jesus to be exalted. He wanted to be pointed to, right? Jesus, Jesus was the one to be pointed to and lifted up because he knew he was God. And said, after John testified, I watched the Spirit descending on him on, from heaven like a dove and resting on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see descending on and resting on, uh, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. So John is saying, listen, I, I baptize with water, and we're, we're, we're saying we're going to be obedient to God here. This is the one who changes everything. The baptism he offers by this Holy Spirit of God is the one that will change everything and transform everything. It's not just an outward cleansing and a symbol that, that means something to God. It's actually an internal heart change that is being offered from the Messiah, from Jesus, who is eternally God. Now, I want us to cruise up to uh, John chapter 1 here on the very top of it, uh, the first few verses, just so we can put this together, because today is not so much an argument. I don't want to go through all the things. I could spend a week, hour, hour a day, and for a week, defending and showing you in Scripture why Jesus is God. Right? But today we're going to just spend a few minutes there. And understanding that this is more about people invite, inviting them to see Jesus because he's the one who should be exalted and pointed to and not ourselves, all right? So John uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and this Word is the eternal Word, right? The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 3, all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. You look at Colossians, you see the preeminence of Christ, that nothing could have been created without him. He, he was present from eternity past and will be present through eternity future. Jesus has always existed and is always co-equal to the Father and the Holy Spirit. They Together, uh, the three of them form the Godhead. There is one God manifest in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son of God, but he is God in the flesh. We see when he was born, he was named what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we see in Isaiah that he will be called, right? There, there will be a king and he will be called. Remember our series? What? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He'll be called Mighty God. I thought there was only one God. There is, and Jesus is called Mighty God. Why? Because Jesus is God. And for us to invite people in and for us to be invited in to Jesus and to see Jesus and to meet Jesus, we are coming face to face with God. God in the flesh, using the Spirit of God to convince us of truth and convict us of sin and to draw us into his presence to be transformed by that same Spirit. Jesus is God. And, and when we invite people to see Jesus, it's because his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that I can't be my own God. I can't, I can't set the, the right way for my life. I can't, I can't fix the problem of sin I have and separation I have between myself and God. That can only come from God. So for you and I, it just makes sense that we would humble ourselves and say, guess what? I'm not God. 
but I know who is. I know who has the power to transform. I know, I know who has the power to change me. I know where the authority rests, and it's in God, and God is, in, is Christ Jesus. Jesus is God. He says in Scripture that, that He can forgive sin, that we should pray to Him, that we would worship Him. And these are things to be said of God Almighty. And they thought He was a blasphemer. Oh, you're, you say we should do that. You're, you're saying you're God. And why did they kill Jesus? Because He said He was God. Why else do we know He's God? Well, when they killed Him for saying He was God, He rose from the dead three days later, saying, told you so, I'm God. He didn't, he didn't die on that cross for something He had done. If He, had, if he wasn't God, he, would have been, he wouldn't have been sinless, and He would have died on that cross for His own sin and shame, and death would have held Him. But because He was God and is God, He died on that cross in our place, taking the sin and shame and guilt from our sin, Nailing it to the cross and then victoriously three days later conquering Satan, conquering sin, conquering death once and for all. That we would have life. So it's so important for us to know that we've been invited to Jesus who is God. And that we invite our friends, our families, our neighbors, our coworkers. When we invite them, we are inviting them to God, to Jesus Christ. Amen? He is God. And the point of John's ministry was to call our attention to the superiority of of Jesus Christ, to the divinity of Jesus Christ. He says later on, you know, you notice in the scripture, uh, the passage we read later on, uh, he loses a couple disciples, right? He's, the next day he says, there's Jesus, the Lamb of God. And says that two of his disciples, what? Left him and went to follow Jesus. You know, if he was equal and they're buds and they were like, hey, I'm a teacher and you're a teacher, we'll kind of gather our disciples around us and grow them up. But now it's like, oh, how, how dare you take my disciples? John was like, I'm glad that you're taking them. You are Jesus. You are God in the flesh. Please go follow him. He's the way, the truth, and life. He's the one. He says later, he says, that's fine that they're going because I must decrease so that he may, what? Increase. So we invite people to see Jesus. It also puts us in a position of humility, of of decreasing. You know what? I don't have all the answers. I I can't save someone and rescue someone, but I know who can. And that's Jesus Christ. If I allow him to increase in my life and I would decrease, then he would get the glory and people would see Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, convincing them of who he is. Number two, why do we invite people to Jesus? We see in this text, Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. If we look at verse 29, it says, The next day, uh, John saw Jesus coming toward him. He says, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John points to him there. We've read that verse already. Now jump down to 35 and 36. It says, again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing, he said, look, right? Come and see Jesus, the Lamb of God. There's the Lamb of God. Just as he did with Abraham and Isaac and with the institutions in, in, in the priesthood in the Old Testament, God provided us with a lamb to be slain for the sacrifice of sin. And when John says there's the lamb of God, what he's saying, what he meant is that finally the climax of Israel's history is here and that God was sending a final sacrifice for our sins in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God, that sacrifice would end all other sacrifices. 
Because with Jesus, and this is as we invite people to see the Lamb of God, with Jesus, we know and we see that he has finished and accomplished what we never could or what any other sacrifice ever could. He has done it with finality. And for you and I, as, as we disciple, any discipleship that we enter into with people, as we grow them and, and learn and, and have conversations, any discipleship or invitation to people to come and see is first and foremost about the Lamb of God who can take away the sins of the world. That you and I would know people and see people that need transformation by Jesus Christ, that need forgiveness. That they, they would stand before Jesus as the Lamb of God knowing that they, they are stained themselves. That they are wretched in themselves. That in our, own, in our own doings, our sin has separated us from God. And we are in need of a Savior who can stand in the gap for us. I love, I had a picture on my grandma's wall in, in the spare bedroom at her house. So every summer when I stayed there, it was always there. And it was this beautiful, beautiful uh, painting of, of this, this it's not a nice land, like a, like a meadow on one side, and the other side was kind of desolate. But there was this big, big bridge crossed. And it was a cross. It was like Jesus just laid down the cross, and he, made, he bridged the gap between, between us and God by the cross. And we, we need our friends to understand that, listen, there's a huge chasm between you and God. And there was a huge chasm between me and God. But I found the bridge, I found the answer with the slain Lamb of God and the cross that bridged the gap for me. And where I couldn't jump across or, or fly across or get there, Jesus paved the way in His blood on the cross because He's the perfect Lamb of God. And He did it by grace for, for us freely. In the fullness of Christ. And I want to continue reading in, in chapter 1. Uh, look at verse 14 through 16 real quick. The Word, we were talking about that earlier, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And going on in verse 14, the Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We're certainly talking about Jesus Christ becoming flesh. Verse 15, John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This one, or this was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. So he's a reminder, right? Verse 16, Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. The lamb that was slain was not just a lamb that would, would apply for a few months or apply for a few years and we'd have to go back. Jesus came and gave us grace upon grace from his fullness as God in the flesh and the lamb that finished it once and for all. And there's victory in the lamb of God because of what he has done. So for you and I, well, for you, maybe you're here today and that grace is for you. I want you to understand there's grace in Jesus Christ waiting for you to be transformed, to be forgiven, to meet you where you are, let his blood pave the way for you to, to be forever changed. You can believe. For those of us that have believed, when we invite people to come and see, what we're inviting them to come and see in the fullness of Christ is that while we are weak, he is strong. While we are foolish, he is wise. And while we are hungry, he is the bread of life. And when we are thirsty, he is the living water that sustains us. That's what we're inviting people to come and see. 
the fullness of Jesus Christ and the grace upon grace he offers as the perfect lamb of God. We're going to go to number three in a minute, but I want to go to John chapter 20 real quick. Just keep your finger here. Go to John chapter 20. It's almost at the end of the book. 21 is the last chapter. I want us to understand, as, as John wrote this, this is the, the Apostle John, wrote this book, obviously penned by divine inspiration from the Holy Spirit of God. There's an there's explanation of why he wrote this and why we have this. And, and I think it's very appropriate as we talk about inviting people to come and see that, they, that we would understand the motive of our heart and the motive of Christ <clears throat> is this here. The verse, verse 30, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Here's what John, John says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. You know, Jesus did a lot of stuff, a lot of things. But verse 31. <clears throat> but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have what? Life. Life in his name. See, Jesus is the only one who can give life. And what you and I understand as we have approached the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, what we understand in the simplest form is that I once was dead and am now alive because of Jesus Christ. So for you and I, as we invite people to see Jesus, what we're inviting them is the same thing in verse 31. We're inviting them to see the transformation, right? The things written on our heart and written in our lives that they might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing they may have life in His name. Certainly we could read Scripture and believe. Our friends and family need to know the truth of the Gospels, the Word of God. But that is lived out in the way God has transformed us, transformed our hearts, how, how the Lamb of God has covered our sins and how we have been transformed, and we share that with the world around and invite them to see Jesus. Number three, why do we invite to Jesus? Well, because Jesus invites our spirit to be new. Because basically it's because Jesus really does the changing, right? We can invite people and we can plead with people. We can try to convince people of everything that we want. But ultimately it is God who is at work in people's hearts and lives. And you and I merely get the privilege of having Christ as a treasure and the joy and privilege of serving and working alongside of what he is doing in and around us. That's the privilege we have, the joy we have, is seeing what God is going to do in the hearts of those around us. And I would love, love to be part of that. I would love to be present and be, be, have been found faithful when someone asks a reason for the hope that's within me. But Jesus invites our spirit to be new. Let's uh, carry on in our text, verses 37 through 42. Remember, the two disciples heard him say this, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, and they, they took off and turned uh, and, and followed Jesus, right? And this is, again, he wanted, to, he wanted Jesus to increase, and John wanted himself to decrease, so he was happy about that. Going on in verse 38. Nope, I lost it. It says, uh, so that when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he said, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, and it was about 10 in the morning. Now, I want to just draw some thoughts on this real quick. Again, God is allowing us to participate 
in, in, in how he transforms lives. And you'll see in these disciples' lives, these followers' lives, how they are participating and drawing and calling others to the transformation that they have experienced. But what I want you to, to think about is this. Jesus, when he asks these questions, he typically has a double meaning going on. He knows that you and I, in, the, in our heart, in the depth of our heart, have a deep spiritual need for him to change us. Okay? He knows that. So he asks the question like this. He, he says, they, they turned away from John the Baptist, not turned away like we don't like you anymore, but said, hey, thanks for helping us out. Now we're going to Jesus. Now they're following Jesus. And Jesus said, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Do you think he was talking about their eyes? What they can see? What they can feel? I think Jesus was talking about their heart. At the depth and core of who you are, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Now, being good humans, they kind of build a wall up in their heart and don't want to let that question go there. Don't want to let the question sink in. So what, what do they say? Well, we're looking, where are you staying? Where, where are you staying? Where are you laying your, your head down at night? It's kind of odd, right? They just kind of said, well, we want to follow you. Where are you staying? What's going on? So going on in the text, it said, come and you'll see. And he replied, and when he, when he replied that, by the way, come and you'll see. I know he took him there and he showed him, but I think his response was, okay, I'll go along with you here. I know you're looking for something deeper. I know your heart is, is toiling with, with who I am and what I offer, but I'll, I'll let you see where I'm staying. Come and I'll show you. And, and, and they got more than what they really expressed that they wanted. When they, when they came and followed Christ. Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying. Good. Checked it off, the, off, right? We saw where he was staying. That was the question. Where are you staying? We saw it. And then it says, they stayed with him that day. They, the rest of the day. They stayed with him that day. It was about 10 in the morning. Then look at verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard John and followed him. He first, uh, he first found his own brother Simon and told him, so here we go. What is he going to tell him? Guess what? I found out where Jesus is staying. I know where he's sleeping now. I know where he's staying. Because that seemed really important to them a few verses ago, didn't it? Jesus, where are you staying? But that's not what he says here, does he? Something happened when they, when they finally saw where Jesus was staying, and they stayed with him that day, and everything changed, right? Look what happened. <clears throat> he says, he first found his own brother Simon and told him in verse 41, We have found the Messiah, which means anointed one. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock. Whoa, this, what's going on here? You see, Jesus is inviting our spirit to be new. When he questions us, what are you looking for? He's talking to the depths of our heart. Knowing that what we're really looking for and what we really need can only be found and fulfilled in Him. And He meets us where we are with that. He says, I want to talk to your heart today. I want you to know, after experiencing me, I want you to know that I'm the Messiah. The one that they've written about, remember? The one that, that, that was sent from heaven to save you from your sin. He invites our spirit to be new. And, and, and God, God allows us to participate, inviting people to this. But we need to understand that Jesus is the one doing the ultimate inviting of people's hearts. 
He's the one that's reaching in there with his spirit and, and, and softening and wooing and stirring in hearts to draw them into, into a saving relationship with him. He's the one doing the inviting. He's the one doing the naming. Right? Notice how Jesus changed his name, Peter's name. You'll be called Cephas. He didn't ask him, hey, do you want to be called this? He told him by his power and his authority. He's the one that does the naming. He's the one that does the calling out to our heart. He's the one that does the saving from the inside out. You see, they were with him, and they, they said, well, this, show us where you're staying. We'll, we'll, we're curious. But he knew the heart, down, down who they really were down deep, had to see how he could transform them. And the point is that when we come to Jesus, he speaks to our heart. He grabs a hold of our heart. He takes out the heart of stone and puts a heart of flesh inside that we might believe in him and that, that we would taste and see, as Psalms say, that the Lord is good, that, that he, happy is the one, the man who takes refuge in the Lord. That when we have trusted and believed in Jesus Christ as, as the lamb who was slain and as he has drawn our heart to him to believe, we have found him to be our refuge and we are happy being in his, under his wings, right, the shadow of his wings and, and that he is our refuge and we have taste and seen that the Lord is good. And those taste buds are the taste buds of the soul, the heart, and we know that he is good. <clears throat> when he becomes our shelter, a new reality takes place. It's a spiritual reality that, that the heart changes. We know that he is good, so we want to invite people, right? We want to invite people to see <clears throat> that he's the one that can change the heart. He's the one that can stir inside of us, that he's the one that really does the inviting. And if we get to partner with him and, and help in that stirring, that's awesome. That's a plus. Number four, why do we invite people to Jesus? Well, Jesus transforms us. You got in your notes, it might say lives. Jesus transforms lives. Jesus transforms. And, and it, I think it's really important today for, for us to understand this. We, we tend to think Jesus transforms, and we kind of leave it at that. He, cha he changed me, he transformed me, yay God, thank you, and we're kind of quiet about it. You see, you see how in Scripture so often people who are changed, challenged, who have repented, who were transformed by Jesus Christ couldn't shut up about him. And even when they, he say, don't go off telling anybody, what would they do? Go off, tell everybody. Because they couldn't help speak about how he transformed them. Jesus transforms lives. Let's look at this text, verses 43 to 46. It says, the next day, he decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus found Philip and told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him. So somewhere in here, Philip has been changed and transformed. We even see it, but he said, follow me, and Philip did. Right? So Philip has experienced this, and he goes, he says, Philip found Nathanael, and this is verse 35, 45. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. So he goes to tell Nathaniel this. He didn't, he didn't hold anything back. And, and I think he, you know, he knew Nathaniel, and he knew maybe even what response he was going to get from him. But he couldn't help sharing and telling him, listen, we found the Messiah. We found the one, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. And what does Nathaniel say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked him. 
What did Philip say? Come and see. Come and see. He's like, you know what, Nathaniel? I know, I know you're a doubter. I know you're a skeptic. I know when I mentioned Nazareth, all kinds of, of ideas come in your mind of people who are from there. And I know you probably think, that, well, the Messiah is supposed to be from Bethlehem, but listen, it works out. We'll get, get there. We'll figure that out. But listen, you, you need to come and see. You need, to, you need to get up and come and see. And what we found is, is that he approached him, and he was kind of like uh, sitting under this tree, right? And Jesus, Jesus mentions it in a minute. But he's sitting under this tree. And, and I think we do this too. We, we don't like to be exposed. We don't like to, to, to let Jesus kind of like in to know, know what we're feeling. But he transforms us. And, and he does that when we humble ourselves to him. And so Philip has done this. And he goes to Nathaniel, come, come, you need to come check this out. We found, we found Jesus. We found the, the, the Messiah. And he says, well, I don't think anything good can come from Nazareth. And he says, come and see. And, and that was the invitation. He invited Nathaniel to come and see. See, Philip had to, and he couldn't help to speak about what he had seen and heard. It's not, not about being perfect or you know, getting all the answers right. It's not about putting all the work in necessary. It's knowing, and we said it earlier, knowing that I once was dead and I, now I'm alive. And you've got to come and see this. Uh, in, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, you can look there later, chapter, chapter 4, verses 18 and 20. Uh, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago. But Peter and John had been arrested, detained, questioned, because they had, they had healed a crippled man in the name of Jesus. And, and they, the, the, the court there did not like this, right? These, these spiritual leaders didn't like this. They wanted Jesus to be dead and gone. Stop bringing him up. Stop talking about him. Stop, stop inviting people to, to know Jesus. He's gone. We've, we're done, we've done away with him. So they called him in this tribunal time, and they tried, what are we going to do with him? We can't really kill him because the crowd loves him. They're always scared of the crowd, right? So, so they called him in. In verse 18, it says, So they called them in and ordered them not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then in verse 19, it says, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide. Basically saying, listen, we can listen to you or we can listen to God. You decide what you think we should do. I know you don't want us to talk in Jesus' name anymore. But here's, here's the reasoning. Verse 20, For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We're unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, for you and I, Jesus has transformed us. If you, you're a follower of Christ and have believed the gospel of Jesus Christ and put your faith in Him to forgive you, He has changed everything. I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was dead and now I'm alive. I once was old and now I'm new. He's changed everything. And how dare we water down that transformation because we want to be politically correct? How dare we kind of keep quiet with our, with our friends because we don't want to be too pushy or edgy or offensive? It's offensive to not let them know that Jesus can change them. That Jesus can take their old dead heart out and give them a new one. A heart of flesh that beats for Him. See, Jesus changes everything. I don't have to shove the doctrine down their throat, but, but I can tell them what Jesus has done in my life. I can't stop saying what, he has, what I have seen and what I have heard. I must not stop speaking about how he's changed me. We have to do that. And as we talk about coming and seeing, the invitation we're offering to people is, come, let me be real with you. Let me be vulnerable with you. Let me let you in to see what Jesus has done in my life. I want you to know so maybe you can find him too. 
Maybe you can be transformed by him too. And that's the idea of inviting someone to Jesus because he changes everything. Yes, they may have questions about doctrine along the way. You'll get there. You'll talk about it. You'll bring it up. You may, as you speak and as you talk about your experiences with Christ, absolutely go back to the Word and say, listen, this is what God's Word said. I believed it one day, and and it was amazing the peace He gave me, the strength and encouragement He gave me, and, and how it's changed. See, we have lots to be thankful for in our story, don't we? God not only met us in the middle of our sin and drew us into a salvation experience with Him, he continues that story along. So God's story met our story, and he changed us for his glory. He continues to redeem our story. We aren't just done there. Every day is about being renewed in Christ and being transformed by him, by his power. And every day there should be opportunities for you and I to invite people to come and see how Christ has transformed us. I'm reading a book right now. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Very intriguing, very interesting. I would challenge you to go grab it, read it listen to it, whatever you do. One of the things that this, this author says, she says, God doesn't get the address wrong. God doesn't get the address wrong. Those people who are your neighbors next door to you, that wasn't a mistake. That's not foreign news to God. The person you ran into down at Ace Hardware because you were needing a part for your whatever, that wasn't a mistake. When you went to the coffee shop and you were running late, but you happened to across someone, that's not a mistake. God doesn't get the address wrong. God is allowing you and I, in the transformed state that we are, to go into a place with, with certain people, wherever we are, and invite them to come and see. They may be in the middle of their doubts. That's okay. So was Nathaniel. He was pretty honest about that. We're saying, come and see. I, I'm not going to convince you by, by reading you a bunch of verses God's spirit will, and certainly you could go there and be convicted. But I want you to see with your own eyes and hear with your ears what God has done in my life. So you'll perk up a little bit, and God will stir more in your heart that maybe they would believe in him. In no way, by the way, as I talk, I know this may sound, you might be listening online or later on or whatever, I am not belittling the word of God. What we're talking about today comes from the word of God. And you know, this is the most precious thing we have next to our salvation. We have God's divinely inspired words to us, and there is power in that word. So we are to use that, and we are to read that, we are to, to, to pray that, we are to worship from it. But as we invite our neighbors in, our family and friends in, what they need to see is Jesus Christ living and active in us, because then it becomes real to them, and even sharing scripture of how it's real. Have you ever shared a verse with someone? You're like, oh, here's a verse for you. But you just really haven't felt it? Like, I haven't really felt this. Maybe this will work for you. It doesn't really work that way. We share when it transforms us. We share what transforms. So stop watering down. If you're watering something down, don't. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to share how Christ has transformed you. Finally, why do we invite people to Jesus? Because he knows us inside and out. Because he knows us inside and out. Let's look at the final part of the passage, verse 47 through 51. So, so you've just been invited. Come and see. Then, then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said about him, Here is a true Israelite. No deceit is in him. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus responded to him, do you, only, or do you believe only because I told you 
I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I assure you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He knows us inside and out. So the first part of this, you see Nathaniel coming up to Jesus, walking up, and, and Jesus says something right away. Here is a true Israelite. No deceit is in him. Now he's not saying that he's perfect. He's not saying that he's a, he's a, a, pure, perfect, a pure person in everything he says and does. What he's saying is kind of, I know your heart. I know you're a straight shooter. I know you wear your heart on your sleeve. I know you say things how, how you feel them and think them, and you say them right away. I know because I just, I just heard your heart when you're sitting under that tree and what you said, that nothing good can come from Nazareth. I heard that, by the way, right? I heard that. And I know you're a straight shooter, right? So he says, how do, you, how do you know me? So right there, Jesus knows inside what's going on. How do you know me? Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, uh, I saw you, Jesus answered. So, so there's the internal, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling. I know it's in the deeper, deepest recesses of your heart, even more so than what you know is there. I know what you're trying to hide from me. I know what you're trying to hide from you. I know that you, what you want to bury and what you want to suppress. I know you from the depths of in, the inside. And then not only do I know you, I know a, your whereabouts. I know where you are. I know your circumstances. I know what's going on in your life. I know what you did. I saw. Not only do I see your heart, I see you. And he, he's exposed. He stands there exposed. Like, oh my goodness, how, how is this even possible that I'm exposed before God? And listen, I, I know it, sometimes it's a drag to be exposed. We don't want to open our hearts up. We don't want to reveal what's really going on inside there. We, we would rather just bury it and stay in our, our depressed state, right? Being hindered from any, any effectual change from Jesus. Because I just want to bury it and be suppressed. Instead of being open and humbling our heart and going to where the true freedom really is. But we know, we know that he's loved us. God, God has loved us and become the land that was slain so we could be transformed and changed. I want to give you this little thought before we close. Um, th- th- here, here's what we say from our heart, like, like Nathaniel may say under this tree. God, if you really knew, if you really knew what was going on here, you would be so ashamed of me. You would, you would, you would turn the other way. You would disown me if you really knew what I was thinking. And I, don't, I can't bear that kind of rejection. And it's so similar to us. And I think about this with my daughter, Bailey. Poor Bailey, huh? And talking about her again. I think about it with my daughter, Bailey. She's at the age where she's starting to, to hide things from me. Not, not because she wants to be malicious. I mean, there's times she does, right? But not because she wants to be malicious and wants to get away with it. But she's scared that if I really knew what she just did, or if I really knew what she just said, that I would be so ashamed of her and turn my back on her and that I would not, I would not embrace her, not love her. You, you understand that? That's, that's different, isn't it? It's different than just trying to hide my sin and shame. What I'm saying is, if, if you really, Dad, if you really knew, you would want nothing to do with me. And see, right there, there's a moment for parents where I have to make that decision and say, I, I could be really, really tough and say, Bailey, you better tell me or else. You better tell me or it's, it's coming, right? You fess up to what you did. You, I know you're, you're lying to me. And I could be really hard, and, and that's going to drive her down deep to say, I don't want to share. I don't want to share what's really in my heart with you, Dad. 
And see, what Jesus, the approach he takes is much different. I think parents can take this too. I, I, want, I want you to know I'm your daddy, Jesus says. I want you to know I, know, I already know the recesses of your heart. I already know, even, and for, for me as a parent, even if I don't really know what she's up to, what she needs to know is I love you unconditionally. I love you unconditionally. And, when, and, and with Jesus, he does know what's in our heart. He knows what we're hiding. And he still chooses to love. And he still knows us. And he still, still says, I want you. And I want to change everything for you. I'm not going to leave you that way. We're gonna, I'm going to pull you out of the mire and the pit, right? And restore the joy of salvation. And renew a right spirit within you. But see, God is the one who transforms and he knows us from the inside out. So if you're sitting there under your fig tree in your own little oppressed and depressed place saying, I, I, I don't want the world to know. I certainly don't want Jesus to know. I'm not gonna, I don't want this to be out in the open. You are going to be stuck there. All the while, the, our loving Heavenly Father is arms open in love saying, I want to transform. I want to change you. I want your heart to be new. I want your heart to be healed. With arms open, I already know what you've done. I know who you are. I know where you are. Now let's get out of that and let's come to something new. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to get out from underneath that tree and reach up to Jesus. That's your invitation to do that. But for the rest of us, if we know that about ourselves. We know that he's a safe haven for us. He's, he's a refuge. Even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We know he knows all about us. And he loves us anyway. And, and he promises, I won't leave you that way. I'll, I'll conform you into the image of my son, Jesus Christ. So for you and I, the invitation to people should be, I want you to come and see Jesus because he knows you and loves you anyway. He knows you and can empathize with you. He knows you and loves you. He knows you and wants you to experience transformation. Won't you come and see? Today, this week has been about why? Why Jesus? Why do we come and see Jesus? In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how. What that looks like. What that looks like in relationships with one another. If Jesus never got the address wrong, maybe I should be with my neighbors a little more often. Maybe I should take the time necessary at the coffee shop because someone was right in my path and I, God placed them there. Maybe I should not water down how God's transformed and is transforming me so that people might see and come to know Jesus. Amen? All right, let's stand up and have prayer together. Father, you are a, a great and awesome God. And Father, I'm so thankful that you, you've done all the work necessary by being not only God, but the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that you've bridged the gap between us and God, and you've You've made a way through your sacrifice, through your shed blood, through your rising from, from death, that we might be whole and complete, that we might be healed and forgiven. God, drive us to our knees in humility, empty before you, that we might taste and see that the Lord is good, that while we are weak, you are strong. While we are thirsty, you are the one that fills and satisfies. And when we're hungry, you're the bread of life. We want the fullness of your grace upon grace to fill our lives. And God, as you transform us, we, we want to invite others to see Jesus. We, want to, we don't want to water down what you've done for us. So God, help us be bold and strong. Help us to 
let people know that it's all about what you have done. And we can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard and experienced as you have transformed us. We love you. We thank you for inviting us to come and see you, for drawing us to yourself and for saving us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.